Sometimes God calls you to improvise and then he gives you a voice. All right. Hey, glad you're here this morning. I'm so glad that uh, we're back in town. We've been out for two weeks on vacation and uh, we're always grateful that the church allows us to do that. So thank you guys as part of the church. Um, We're just glad to be able to journey out. We went to Tennessee and you know what they say about a family vacation. It's not vacation. It's a trip, right? Um, And so we went on a trip. Um, but hey, I want to today thank you guys for the worship. Uh, Rachel has been here just a few weeks, and that was a great selection of songs. That's very fitting. I want you guys to think about the battle does belong to the Lord this morning specifically, because that's going to play a huge part as we think through this scripture. But I've got a couple of quick announcements I want to mention. Um, on July seventh, we've got our twenty-four hours of prayer. I want you guys to join us in that. Um, there's a way to sign up. Check out our website. You can do it there. Uh, But we want you guys to pick an hour in which you can pray for both our church, our community, for people that you know that may not understand who Jesus is or may be desiring to get to know him, uh, that God would put you in relationship with him for the rest of us as we continue to grow and mature in Christ. And so join us for those 24 hours of prayer. The other thing I want to remind you of, and this is something that I hold deeply, is our spiritual formation classes are starting back up July 13th at Yorktown. I want to invite you guys to those. We had one here uh, this past month, actually May through June. Uh, it was a great time. We're going to have those back again in the future. Uh, but if you guys would like to check out a spiritual formation class, that will start July 13th at a Yorktown campus. And there are booklets in the back that you can grab. So all that to say, hey, glad I'm here. And uh, we've got a good text. You can look up James 3 right now. We're going to be there for a few. But before we start, This whole thing has to do with wisdom. So I I would be remiss if I didn't try to give you good wisdom this morning. So I decided that I would look into, this is serious, guys. I got really good wisdom for you today that I want you to take home with you and make sure you ponder it in your hearts. You guys ready? All right. How many of you guys think this is going to turn funny on you? All right. Don't drink downstream of the cattle. I, you take this seriously, guys. This is important. Do not drink. If you see cattle upstream and the water's going this way, don't drink it. I'm just telling you, okay? It should be obvious, but I'm going to leave, leave it there. Don't eat yellow snow, all right? It might look like a lemon ice cream or a lemon cone, snow cone, but it is not. So just want to let you know that your dog probably walked over there, okay? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. All right, never make the same mistake twice, right? Okay, make it three or four times just to make sure it's the wrong thing to do. All right, here we go. Number four, if somebody asks you what book to take on a desert island, come on, always take the book that says how to build a boat. (laughs) Why would you take something else? I don't understand. What doesn't even make sense to me when they ask that question. Okay, last but not least, and this is like uh, Dave Letterman's top 10 here, the number one is, that was a bad drum roll, wasn't it? <laughs> Don't breathe underwater. All right, moving on. Hey, sometimes we get good advice, sometimes we get bad advice, sometimes we get great wisdom, sometimes we don't. And wisdom comes with its quirks. Uh, wisdom comes with its, its good stuff and its bad. Uh, but hopefully good, godly wisdom is something you can live with for a lifetime. That's what we believe here at Coastal, is that as the church, there is godly wisdom that we need to adhere to. 
I was reading some papers, uh, some articles a few days ago, and it was interesting how they reflected on why people do not receive wisdom from others. And one of the articles said, well, they have differing values, so they don't receive wisdom because their value system is not the same as the person communicating the wisdom. One of the, uh, the other articles read that it was because there's, they're trying to see how it actually plays out over time. They're wanting to experience it for themselves. But the one that I saw over and over and over again was sometimes they don't receive wisdom or they hesitate to take wisdom because they don't see that wisdom played out in the life of the person dispensing the wisdom. Isn't that fascinating? I was listening the other day to um, a podcast and they were talking about different things. They were talking about finance and they were referring to a very famous financial guru. And in that famous financial guru, he makes this suggestion to do a certain direction with your finances. And the commentator on the podcast said, it's funny though, this guy doesn't do that. He doesn't follow his own principle. And isn't it interesting though, when, when we think about the biggest holdup people have to coming into the church it's probably hypocrisy, isn't it? And a lot of times people don't want to hear the wisdom of the grace and goodness and gospel of God because we don't live it out in our actions. What you're going to find today in James is that James isn't trying to identify what wisdom necessarily is. He's trying to define what the character of wisdom looks like. Although we know that most wisdom is simply this, right? Wisdom is the knowledge, the vast knowledge you have and then knowing how to use it. And so when we think about wisdom, when it comes to God's wisdom, we say it's the knowledge we have in the scriptures and then knowing and utilizing it in the way that God directs us. That's what wisdom is. And so what James really wants to accomplish today, though, is to say, hey, wait a second. You need to know why we need to think about how wisdom is measured. And it's not measured on our scale, thank goodness. It's measured on God's scale. And so he gives us some great advice here that I want us to read. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be James 3, 13 through 18. Now, here's something I want you to contemplate throughout this message. God's wisdom does not need you to prove it, to prove that it is good. God's wisdom invites you to reveal that it is good. Because you know what? God is good on his own, and his wisdom will hold up for itself. If people choose to ignore it, that's okay. We don't, we don't need to walk in a way that is dogmatic and forceful because God's wisdom is good if people are open to reason. Uh, let's start James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his work in the meekness of wisdom. Wow, that's interesting. Underline meekness of wisdom. But if you have have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom, listen to this, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Isn't that good? That gives you something so clear, and we're gonna we're gonna capture it here in a second. But just it's so good to see that God wants to make this so practical and clear for us. That the character that's going to be played out is placed in James first uh, in chapter three. Again, wisdom is uh, the capacity to understand and hence act wisely. At least that's what my computer tells me because they have the dictionary. But wisdom is best revealed or is revealed through character and conduct. Do y'all believe that? See, God has a very different definition for wisdom than the world. In fact, James, he's warning us that there's this conflict in the conduct of wisdom to the world. He says that wisdom, uh, it is not meek. It doesn't demonstrate meekness, but boasts in self. How many times have you heard in our culture, become independent? And there's no caveat of what that really means. Do your thing. Live your truth. And a lot of times that leads you to live truth that's false. In fact, he'll address that here in a second. The wisdom of man aims toward what is making us happy. It's selfish ambition. The wisdom of man entices you to have the lifestyle of others and breeds jealousy through wants of the, uh, the want of other people's possessions. Now, you don't, maybe you're not on board yet. <laughs> I don't know about you, but you ever watch commercials during Christmas time? Talk about making you jealous, right? You ever see those car commercials they do every year? And it would go buy a nice car. I don't care. That's totally fine. But the car commercials always have that perfect family waking up. And they're in these beautiful clothing, you know, like these nice, really plaid, you know, pajamas. And dad honked the horn. It was a gentle honk. It wasn't loud and annoying like it normally is. And all the kids get up and they're wondering. And they look out the window and they see. And then you get that, that eclipse moment where everybody's out the door and dad's holding the precious keys in the air. And, and mom's looking and she's got this shocked look on her face. Like she loves him like he's the best husband in the world. And then the price tag comes up, right? At 509 a month. And this is how the world markets to us. And what's it convince you of? Well, one, your kids are perfect, right? They're all wearing plaid clothing and nobody's hair is a mess. Have you ever noticed that in the car commercial? Everybody wakes up with really nice hair on Christmas Day, except for us. My kids would be coming out with shorts and no t-shirts. I'm just telling you my boys, okay? But this is what we're constantly being sold. And it makes you want, right? And desire. But this is, this is not what life is about, 
And so James wants to get us to, no, 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 true good, true, true desire and want and everything is found in Christ and Christ alone. Sometimes we forget that, church. We begin to become consumed with what we can get rather than what we already have. You have Jesus. And let me tell you, if you're new here and you don't understand what that means, I pray that you do because I don't need a new car to make me happy. I don't need a new car to experience the joy of life. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need a a bigger TV. I don't need a a greater experience in life. I, I don't even need a better position than what I already have in life. Because I have a great position as a son, as an adopted son of a heavenly father. And so what James is getting us back to is getting us back to understanding first what we need to be satisfied in. So that he can lead us to how that should play out. And so when he tells us how it plays out, I love what he says first. Uh, He says, worldly wisdom points you to a false reality. And he is not shy to let us know this. Again, this leads us to a mindset. Once I have or once I can possess, I'll be in a good place. But James tells us that reality is false. That it's unspiritual. I love this. He says it's demonic. Wow. Tell us what you really think, James. Like he's not holding back. See, anything that you're desiring that's leading to your selfish ambition is not wisdom from God. If your wisdom is playing more to you than it is to others or it is to who your character is in God, it's not wisdom. And so James is warning us that when we step into that hole, it's a hole. And he wants us to know that we don't have to be selfish There's a reward in not being selfish or it's a reward in not being jealous. But there's something more satisfying in life than what we can possess or what position we can hold. Because true wisdom comes from God, reflects attributes contrary to our culture. If you go back and you look through this passage, you're going to see words that you could actually go back and refer to in Matthew 5. James loves to quote his brother, right? Who wouldn't, right? If your brother was Jesus, you'd quote him all the time, okay? Be like the, the best script ever. And he can always have the bragging rights. Well, that's my brother. I don't brag about my brother as much as James brags about his, but He says, first, it's pure. Jesus said it this way. Blessed are the pure of heart. They shall see God. Now, what I love about this concept of pure and that they shall see God is this. That the pure of heart are not paying attention to the possibilities of the planet. They are pursuing the promise of the Savior. They're not... So eternally minded, they're not thinking about things here. They're so eternally minded that they're thinking about what can we do here to help other people experience the eternity we're going to experience. The pure of heart are thinking about people. They're thinking about how to live a righteous and good life. 
they're thinking about how do you help others fill that holy, set-apart life. They're gentle. What's it say about the meek? They shall inherit the earth. You ever notice when you talk to someone who's gentle, you kind of listen, right? You're like, dude, you're always humble. Like, I want to take your advice. When I hear you talk, I want to listen. So what James is reminding is that they're gentle. And these are all attributes he wants us to pursue. And he says they're peaceable. I love what, God, what Jesus says that in Matthew 5. He says they're peaceable. They're, blessed are the peacemakers, right? They shall be called sons of God. Not only are we identified as adopted sons and daughters, but we are called to be peacemakers. I think everybody's waiting to be like, oh, well, that guy's a peacemaker. I don't have to be in the church. We all need to be peacemakers. It's not like the spiritual gifts. It's the attributes, the attitudes that we need to live out. We are all peacemakers. And when we live to be peacemakers, the brilliance is, is that we get to be called sons of God. John MacArthur writes this, the truly wise don't perpetuate conflict by their selfishness, but produce peace through their humility. They walk so humble, you want to change. Now, a lot of this is spoken to the church about us being peacemakers. And what, what James is trying to get at is that, hey, if we will walk in peace, then people will realize, hey, we are, we're open. Because the next phrase is, he says, we're open to reason. Luckily, God gives us all the good reasons in his scripture. But we're open to be peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker in your life? This one's a pivotal one, guys, because at the end, he's going to close with the same concept. But I want you to think over the next few that we talk through, are you peaceable? Philippians 2, 3 says this, do nothing for selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. If we are peacemakers, we are looking for what's in the best interest of all. And the best interest of all is that they know Christ. They know the goodness of Christ and what it is to live in a faith-filled life. They're full of mercy, right? It's another thing he says, in good fruits. For they shall receive mercy, is what Christ says. when he, he says, blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That seems kind of obvious, right? When you extend mercy to others, others extend mercy to you. Just the same. Did God not extend mercy to you? Again, the constant message that James is sending is the reality is you have a measuring stick for how to understand what is good wisdom. How do you hand out good wisdom? If you're handing out good wisdom, it must be full of mercy. If you're handing out good wisdom, it must be peaceable. If you're handing out good wisdom... That wisdom must be pure, and it must be delivered gently. The last one he says is we're open to reason. This is for the church here. If we're open to reason, the comparable passages, Matthew 5, 3, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Somebody came to you at one point and gave you the gospel, right? If not, let's talk later. But suddenly it started to make sense. Why? Because you walked into the conversation open-handed. You walked into the conversation saying, hey, maybe I need to listen. And as a result of it, it actually made a lot of sense. And you began to reason. Paul says this all the time. He reasons with people throughout scripture. The book of Acts, Paul uses that consistently. I want to reason with you. I want to compel you. I want to help you understand. So not only was it him being receptive, of course, he had kind of a different (laughs) connection to Jesus. But he was also demonstrating his ability to reason with others and communicate in a clear and willing fashion. And so what we see here in these first five is the idea that we need to play out the Beatitudes in our wisdom. And when our character reflects it, it begins to demonstrate to other people that we actually believe what we say. There are so many times where we probably could give good advice, but because of the way we say it, no one is listening because it doesn't sound peaceable. It doesn't sound open to reason. It doesn't sound pure. Because our voice is louder than our wisdom. He concludes this section with the final two traits. We've kind of talked about one over the past few weeks, but he says, wisdom is impartial or unwavering and sincere or without hypocrisy. The first five are what we should be leaning towards. The last ones are just the descriptor of wisdom. Wisdom's impartial. It's sincere. Are you impartial? Are you, in, are you sincere? Or are you insincere? When you communicate God's goodness to others, when you communicate wisdom to others, even believers within the church, are you sincere in your communication? Do you truly want them to understand that not only are you praying for this, but you're believing this? Isn't it good to know that such a practical notion is that we could look at this particular passage and begin to say to ourselves, wow, when I go give wisdom to someone next time, I'm just going to check myself before I wreck myself. I'm going to make sure that this is all in play. I'm going to make sure that what I say is not only what I mean, but it's being played out in my own life. And then I hope that it gets played out in your heart because it's that good of wisdom. Because wisdom without the demonstration of character is not good. He concludes this part by saying, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Like I said, peace comes up again, right? I think it's really significant because we see Jesus described as the Prince of Peace. Peace is a big deal. Because what does peace do for you and me? It gives us comfort. Even in hard circumstances, it reminds us, you know what? This is all out of control in my world, but it's completely in control in God's world. He knows exactly what's going on. The battle belongs to the Lord. I don't have to go and fight. 
I just need to stand firm in who he is. I can trust in his word. Why? Because his word is pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. That is what's so good about what James is saying. Because as a result of us pursuing all of these items, it leads us to righteousness. Yes, Jesus leads us to righteousness, but these are the attributes that will pull us all together, help us understand how to live out that righteousness. So when we deliver wisdom, we deliver it with the mindset that we are going to pursue the attributes of God, the attributes that convey who he is and not necessarily who we are. Practice of godly wisdom eventually solidifies our soul. We realize that godly wisdom can be measured, again, measured by the, the aspects that he's giving us here. When we allow the attributes mentioned in James to affirm our motivation, then we will experience righteousness and peace. We don't experience what is wrong. This is the great part about it, right? When we pursue being peaceable, we won't be in conflict too much, right? And when we're in conflict, we'll return it to peace. We won't be in that place where we're not lacking mercy because we're delivering mercy to others. We won't be in that place where we're being selfish or harsh if we would just pay attention to making sure that when we deliver wisdom, it's pure. How many of you guys have given good wisdom but delivered it badly? Just me? Man, when I, when I deliver good wisdom badly, it comes back to me. Tenfold sometimes. And I'm reminded very quickly that it lacked the character of Christ. Most of the time I go apologize. I hope. Some of you guys know me in the room, so tell me later. But the good news about this is that when we actually follow and pay attention to whether or not we actually hit these marks, we're not going to have to come back and say, hey, I'm struggling because this was too selfish of me. Do you care about others? Do you care about others that are, are seeking out your wisdom? If you do, I, can, I compel you, please live out your wisdom. Because God doesn't need you to prove it. He doesn't need you to prove that his wisdom is good. God wants you and invites you to reveal that it is good. A couple of takeaways I want to give you guys today. The first one is this. It's a question. How are you communicating the wisdom of God? I'm going to follow this up with a few other questions. In your home, are you peaceable and gentle? Do your kids respond to you and say, thank you, Dad, for disciplining me? Probably not right away, but maybe after a while, right? When your wife comes to you and says, wow, that was actually really good advice. Not that she should be that shocked, hopefully. Do you see that? Are you gentle with your spouse? Are you gentle with your kids? Are you peaceable? At your office, are your comments pure? Or do you go along with the same jokes that are being told? 
Do you make the same comments? Do you ever make comments of impartiality? Do you ever insult someone and not think twice about it? Among your friends, is your wisdom merciful and meek? Or is it the opposite? Is it arrogant, lacking mercy? The second takeaway is this. How are you receiving God's wisdom? Have you heard, uh, have you heard good wisdom and ignored it? Are you sitting in the room, you've heard the gospel before, and you've ignored it? Have you neglected to fully take upon the wisdom and lean into your preferred desires and comforts? Well, I'll do this part of the wisdom that you're communicating, but I'm still not comfortable doing this. I'll jump halfway in. And then finally, more of a positive mindset. Have you second-guessed your own wisdom when you've heard godly wisdom from other men or women? At the end of the day, guys, what I hope that you will receive and think through is that God's wisdom is good and there's clarity on how we can identify what that wisdom looks like. And so today, Ask yourself those two questions. How are you communicating with the wisdom of God and how are you receiving the wisdom of God? And begin to think about how can I make sure from here on out the wisdom I deliver is the wisdom I've been delivered. All right, let's pray. I'm gonna invite the uh, prayer team and the band back up here. Father, Thank you, thank you, thank you that you make wisdom clear to us. And then above and beyond that, James has wrote and clearly articulated how you want us to make sure that wisdom is measured. So God, I pray right now that we'd be peaceable and pure, we'd be gentle, that we'd be impartial and sincere. I pray, God, that we would lean into you what we do not know and that we would admit at times where our wisdom lacks and seek your face. Thank you, God, for who you are. And I just pray this in Jesus' name, amen.